Well, hello and welcome back to LeaderPod. We're on episode five and in this episode we will begin to look at leadership today and we'll continue that theme into episodes six and seven. Hopefully you've listened to episodes one to three that form a background or foundation for us discussing leadership today. They give you a bit of an insight into the history and what I call the tipping point of theory with three different approaches to or perspectives of leadership, the scientific functional view, the sociological view and the behavioural view of leadership. But when we think about leadership today, not only can we see leadership with those three perspectives or lenses, but we can also think about leadership in different ways. For example, some theories think about the processes of leadership. Some theories think about the personality perspectives on leadership. Some are around the actions or behaviours of the leaders or their followers and some folks on the influence or power or the transformational activities that the leader brings. And some ideas of leadership are around the skills or styles that leaders have. One topology of leadership, one way of categorising leadership or looking at leadership is to think about the four different elements of leaders. So you can think of the leader as a person. You can think of the leader in terms of the results they get. You can think of the leader in terms of the position they occupy. Or you can think of leadership as a process. And I want to break these down a little bit. So let's get into each one. Firstly, leader as a person. This is all about who the leader is. It's about their character. It's about their essence. It's about their approach. Um, The idea of leadership as a person, really trait theory, is that people with such leadership traits would achieve a leadership state regardless of the circumstances that they're born into or find themselves in. You'll have heard me talk about trait theory before. This is the idea that certain individuals have innate characteristics and qualities that differentiate them from non-leaders. So if you ascribe to this way of thinking about leadership, then you believe that leadership resides in a select elite group of people and it's restricted to those people who happen to be born with particular talents. The sort of traits that people have looked at are things like height. So the sense that your height is one factor that might help you be a better leader. Your intelligence, your external facing or extroversion, you know, this personality to be an extrovert. Your influence, your independence, your initiative, your self-confidence, all those sorts of things. So that's the idea of trait theory. And one criticism or problem with trait theory is that there are just too many traits. There are many human attributes and for every correlation you might find, for example, a great leader is tall, you'll find many exceptions of small leaders who were also great. The other problem is that they can be quite vague. How do you measure certain attributes that people have? How can you possibly not just measure but relate that particular trait to particularly successful leadership. When you just look at it in its own right, it's difficult without having to take into account all of the other factors. 
A final problem with trait theory is that if leaders are born and not made, then it doesn't leave much hope for those who might have been born without particular traits that are considered necessary for leadership. However, when we start looking with the other lenses on leadership, like processes, um, behaviours, influence, skills, uh, transformation, those sorts of things, then all of a sudden, as a leader, we have different ways that we can improve leadership capability, both of ourselves and those who work with us, and of the organisation as a whole. So let's look at the second perspective in our topology of leadership, and that is leadership by results. In an organisation, these results might be organisational results such as profitability. They might be customer results. They might be shareholder or investor results or employee results. And these results usually have targets associated with them and some form of measurement or KPI, key performance indicators. Results-based leadership is the relentless emphasis on outcomes. And history shows that people are willing to follow deeply flawed, irrational, even insane or evil people because their leadership is based on the results they've already achieved or the results they promise. The third in our topology is position. Now when we look at leadership as position we can think of assigned leadership that's when you're given a job or a role uh, and you can take a recognised position in an organisation, community or society. Uh, and that bestows a certain degree of authority and power on you. And we can think of emergent leadership where the leader emerges in a particular situation or organisation regardless of being assigned a particular role. And this idea of emergent leadership is linked to the informal organisation. Now, unlike the formal organisation where you look at an organisational chart or organogram and you'll see who reports to whom and where people fit in the organisation, the informal organisation encourages us to consider what really happens in organisations, where the power really lies. It doesn't always lie in that formal system and structures and processes, but it can lie in the informal or the hidden organisation. Some leaders get status and influence without having formal recognition of their authority through a job title or a particular place in the organisation. The individuals become perceived by others as very influential in a group or organisation regardless of the title they have. The fourth and final idea we have is leadership as a process. As you may know, with any process there are inputs and outputs. And then there's the process in the middle that transforms those. In the case of leadership as a process, we have leaders, we have followers, we have the context, the organisation, the things that are happening. And one of the great things that this does is it breaks away from only looking at the leader and starts to include other factors. So we've looked at one topology of leadership that has four dimensions or lenses, leadership as person, as results, as position, and as process. But these are not the only ones. A couple of prominent ways of thinking about leadership that I wanted to briefly mention 
are the styles and the skills approach. The style approach to leadership belongs to the behavioural lens that I mentioned earlier. This approach came from a disillusionment with the trait approach. And whereas the trait approach looked at what you're born with, the style approach looks at how do leaders behave. As soon as you think about how leaders behave, all of a sudden you have the opportunity to think about how leadership can be improved by learnt behaviours. Because we can do something about behaviour, we can learn behaviour, we can develop behaviours. And if we understand the sorts of behaviours that get the best results, then we can train leaders to have those sorts of behaviours. Research on the style approach to leadership was initially aimed at trying to find out if certain styles of leadership are more effective than other styles. So is a considerate, participative, democratic leadership style going to be more effective than an impersonal, autocratic, directive style? Then I wanted to talk about the skills approach. This focuses on the knowledge and abilities of the leader and again is a useful concept if we're thinking about developing leaders because knowledge can be expanded and abilities can be learned. A helpful way to think about skills was introduced by Robert Katz in the 1970s with his three skills approach. So you can think of your leadership or someone else's leadership as having firstly technical skill. Now when we say technical skills we don't necessarily mean technology, IT, engineering, that sort of thing. Um, rather, it's the ability within your particular field. So if you're a lawyer, then your technical skill is around the elements of knowledge of the law. And if you're a social worker, perhaps, um, the technical skills would be around the legislation for your social work. If you're a teacher, your technical skill might be your pedagogy and ability to deliver your teaching. Secondly, there are human skills. The leader's ability to work with people, to understand people and their proficiency in interpersonal skills. And again, in terms of the human skill, this brings in things such as emotional intelligence and relational intelligence. Leaders with higher levels of interpersonal skills are better able to adapt their own ideas to other people's ideas, especially when this will aid in achieving organisational goals more quickly and efficiently. These leaders might be more sensitive and empathetic to what motivates others. They might be able to create an atmosphere of trust for their followers and take others' needs and motivations into account when deciding what to do to achieve organisational goals. And then finally, number three, the conceptual skills. The mental capacity to understand the situation that you're in and to make sense of it. Conceptual skills allow you to think through and work with ideas. Leaders with higher levels of conceptual skills are good at thinking through the ideas that form organisation and its vision for the future and expressing those ideas in verbal and written forms and understanding and expressing the principles underlying their organisation's effectiveness. These leaders are comfortable asking what if or hypothetical questions and working with abstract ideas. Conceptual skills allow leaders to give abstract ideas meaning 
and to make sense of abstract ideas for their superiors, peers and subordinates. And there are obviously criticisms, and I do want us to take the critical view of each of these theories. So, for example, the criticisms of the skills approach is that there seems to be a breadth of skills that extend way beyond the boundaries of leadership. And so as soon as you start probing these skills, it becomes quite general and less precise. Also, it's not very predictive. So you can have a leader who, on paper, has all the skills that are needed but actually they may not be an effective leader in certain contexts. Equally, you may have someone on paper who doesn't have all the skills needed for certain situations, but will somehow be a brilliant leader. At this stage, you might start to recognise an issue. That with all these different perspectives and ideas of leadership, definitions can be tricky. To illustrate, I was doing a talk to some business owners at the Mercia Centre for Innovation Leadership. And I was talking about leadership definitions and the problems with such definitions. And one of the participants asked, why don't you just go to a dictionary and see the definition of leadership in the dictionary? And I had to smile because I don't know whether you've ever gone to a dictionary and looked at the definition of leadership, but some of them are quite amusing. For example, one definition in a renowned dictionary says a leader is someone in a leadership position. And these sorts of definitions almost become banal and ridiculous. Don't get me wrong, sometimes the dictionary definition can be helpful. But when we're thinking about an academic view of a field as complex as leadership, then we need a slightly different approach to definitions. And I say that because leadership is one of the most contested academic concepts. It exists across a broad range of fields. It exists in sociology, in organisational studies, in the religious literature, in the political literature. There are lots of different lenses and perspectives. And so there are as many different definitions of leadership. There are almost too many. It has been said that leadership is one of the most observed and least understood social phenomena. And because it's socially constructed as a concept, then we assign our own meaning and sense-making, which then adds additional levels of complexity. So why on earth do we bother trying? Well, the fact that it's difficult to come up with a singular, fully agreed definition of leadership shouldn't be a particular problem. We don't have to try and resolve all the controversies over what leadership is. What we need to do, I'd suggest, is take a more utilitarian view of leadership and say, well, what is useful to us? And as long as we understand that each definition of leadership has its own worldview and will see things through a particular lens, and so each definition will have its benefits and its disadvantages, as long as we are critical around understanding that definition, then we can use definitions to help us navigate this leadership terrain that is quite complex and quite difficult. So well done, you've reached the end of episode 5 and our first look, or the start of our foray, into leadership today. Just before you go on to episode 6, I would suggest you pause and reflect on what you've heard so far. Maybe think about where you've encountered leadership that fits into the sort of categories that I've been talking about. Or maybe how you've exercised leadership.
more importantly, how does what you've learned so far change the way that you see others' leadership or maybe has changed the way that you will enact leadership?